Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. So, with that segue, obviously lots going on uh, in the news on this lovely Family Day weekend. Uh, it's a very significant moment uh, in our history as a country. And um, I want to encourage us, of course, all to pray for peace and pray for unity. And we've been, we've been doing that. Um, and just acknowledge, like, within the body, um, within, within your relationships, within your families, uh, you know, there are very, very complex issues uh, being discussed. Uh, faithful Christians that we know and love hold a very wide spectrum of beliefs on a number of issues. Um, and uh, I think just through this message, what I want us to, to grab hold of is that uh, there are some things about our posture that we can hold that make it possible for us to navigate these times well and navigate them uh, together. Uh, we want to be honoring one another. We want to be humble. Uh, we want to be listening. Uh, we ha- want to have an openness to Jesus and a heart that is uh, really willing to hear what he has to say to us wherever we're at on whatever issue it is and be uh, willing to let him guide us and direct us and think in new ways and be repentant. Uh, every one of us actually on every side of any of these issues should really humbly uh, explore the possibility that we don't see things as clearly as we think we do and just to vigorously like, explore the scriptures around the issues that we're wrestling with and dig into them and let the word of God guide us and, and pray for the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures to illuminate our hearts and change us and, and make us new. And this is, this is a really good time for, for seeking Jesus, a really good time for a healthy sense of self-doubt and saying, hey, I don't know really what's going on here, Jesus. I, I need you to speak to me. I need you to, to lead me. Uh, in this, in this uh, series, in, in this um, one series that we've been doing, um, we've been seeking to anchor ourselves around you know, some, some extremely powerful truths, um, some actually, not even truths, but realities, realities about who God is that uh, impact who we are as people and how we are together as a body. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, we've just read this every single week. Um, we're just reading verse 4 and 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. And these cosmically, massively significant realities um, are infinitely more significant than the things that divide us. They're bigger. Uh, They're more than the glue that holds us together. They are actually realities that make us one thing. We are as integrated uh, with one another as your finger is integrated with your thumb. Your eye is with your ear. Your arm is with your leg. We are one body, and not one of us, as we we talked about last week, uh, would would dare to chop off uh, your own limb. You just wouldn't. You You would say, you know, we all belong, so we have to figure out how that is, uh, with that massive reality, that massive truth that is just holding us together, um, then how do we navigate uh, the issues that are secondary? How do we navigate the issues that are of secondary importance, the issues that are what Paul actually in, in uh, Romans 14 
uh, calls um, matters of opinion. Uh, some theologians say disputable matters. So there are matters in Paul's teaching where he would say, hey, even if an angel of heaven would come to you and preach to you a gospel other than, than mine, if that angel would come to you like away from that angel, because there are truths of the gospel that we anchor around and we, we say these are, these are indisputable. These are things that can't be challenged. These are fundamental to what it is to be a believer. But then there are issues that are still important and still significant to us that are secondary issues. And so how do we navigate those uh, secondary issues? How do we navigate it when there are Christians with a diversity of views on issues that are important to them? Uh, This is not a problem that that humans just ran into uh, the first time when the coronavirus came. Uh, This is is something that's been uh, going on for a while. This is something that Jesus uh, experienced. He saw it happening with him in his discussions with the Pharisees. Uh, We'll see in Matthew uh, 15, rather, uh, he talks about what it is for his disciples to maybe be eating without doing a ceremonial hand washing first and the controversy that caused. We'll look at what he has to say about that. Um, We'll look at what Paul says about eating meat sacrificed to idols um, that that maybe people have bought in a market. How do we navigate differences of opinion on that? They navigated differences of opinion on uh, how do we recognize one holy day when other people don't want to recognize that other holy day? Uh, Sort of matters of religious significance to people, but there's still diversity in the body of Christ. How do we navigate it? And and how do we actually navigate it when, for, for many of us, it's actually quite painful? Uh, for some of us. Uh, For many of us, those secondary things, these things that aren't the sort of absolute core of the gospel, uh, feel to us like primary things. They feel to us like very significant things, Uh, things that we hold very dearly. Um, Especially on a weekend, weekend like this, there are things that influence us in that direction to take Things that are maybe secondary issues and feel them uh, as being something at our core. Uh, I mean, there's the media. Just simply, if you're looking at your social media feed um, or watching the news, you're just bombarded by, bombarded by uh, intense emotion and feelings and thoughts about a given issue. And just the sheer amount of input we receive uh, in a phase like this, in a news cycle like this, I can have a tremendous impact on how we rank and value the importance of, of various issues, what we look at, what our interests are. Uh, for some of us, it's personal connection. For some of us, we know people uh, who are in the midst of things. We know people that we love who are experiencing things on both sides of the issue, people who have experienced hurt and pain and, and difficulty, who have been uh, confronted with those challenges. Uh, we wrestle with that in significant ways, with very, very personal connections to these issues. And for, with, with, with those things in mind, it, it can actually all become very emotional. It can become very, very deeply felt for us. Uh, it, can, it can become something that almost at times uh, overtakes our ability to use our intellect to discern the reality around it. And you see even, even in some of the images of crowd, things that are going on in crowds, just this well of emotion. If you've ever been at a rock concert, uh, 
you know, a Christian rock concert, like Petra or something like that, one of those new bands, um, you know, whatever it is, or a conference. You get inside that crowd, you get inside that environment, and your emotions are taken over by the realities that you're feeling from other people. So our emotions uh, begin, to, uh, t- begin to heighten as we take them on from the community around us. So it's not simple. So it's required for us to walk in tremendous grace with one another as the church moves forward, as we move out of the pandemic and we begin to try to heal, and we begin to try to come together as a diverse group of people. What we're going to try to do today is enter into the first century story a little bit. Enter into a little bit the life of Jesus, the life of Paul, and some of the controversy that they faced. And sort of take from their experience the principles that they were trying to teach their people in their time to hold their people together. And and we look at Jesus as the great shepherd. And we, we look at the great apostle Paul as the great gatherer. And we say, hey, maybe they knew something about this that we might need to take on board, something about this that we might need to uh, take in. Um, when we looked at these passages, uh, there's, just, there's just a lot that they've written about it, and I'm just going to snipe little bits out of them. But uh, as, I, as I said in a Facebook post um, earlier this week, I um, really encourage you to read these scriptures for yourselves. Read Matthew 15, read Romans 14, read uh, 1 Corinthians 8, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, chunks of it, 1 Corinthians 10. And, and elsewhere in the scriptures and dig into these and see how did Paul speak into these issues. And we're just going to start and see how far we get this morning and maybe we'll continue next week. But principle number one, and we're going to take this from Matthew um, chapter, rather, chapter 14 and, and just say this, in, in difficult times we watch our mouths <laughs> and we tame our tongues. In difficult times like these, we watch our mouths and tame our tongues. And I'm going to unpack how um, Matthew deals with this, uh, relaying the teaching of Jesus. But the principle we want to draw from it is this idea, how we speak about each other around an issue is often more important than the issue itself. How we speak about one another and speak about an issue is often more significant than the issue itself. So here's Matthew, uh, chapter 14, verse 10 to 11, and then verse 18 to 20, and we'll just read it together. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Very often we take uh, religious issues, in this case for Jesus and his people, 
uh, his disciples, and we don't really understand why, except that Jesus didn't feel like it was something significant, that they had to follow on from the Jewish law. He would hang out with his disciples, and that was maybe because they came from diverse backgrounds. Maybe they weren't from a scholarly or educated class, and he didn't feel like he needed to instruct them in that, as he uh, understood it as a rabbi. And they would come together, and they would share meals, and they wouldn't do what Jesus had done. He would just do a, a washing of his hands in the water. Of course, it's a, it's a ritual that's meant to have your hands clean. I think I hope you teach your children to wash their hands before they eat their dinner. Um, but the, the actual uh, spiritual, religious, significant thing that Jesus as a rabbi very likely did before he ate every meal, he didn't require that of his disciples, and he took criticism for it uh, from the Pharisees who were watching um, and looking on. And so there's a principle that we want to draw from this. We can be incredibly interested in one another's behaviors and interpreting one another's behaviors as having spiritual and religious and theological and faith significance. And then we can take those behaviors and we can elevate them. And we can do what the disciples uh, had done to them can have a group of people in, in the church on one side of an issue or another side of an issue. Uh, Jesus is kind of uh, dealing with a specific situation here, but I think we can say this applies to all sides in our current context, is you can look at someone who has uh, done a behavior or not done a behavior, and you can say to yourself, as the Pharisees said to Jesus' disciples, you are unclean, and I don't want to be with you. You are unclean because of this. And what Jesus says is that more danger is found in what you say about this situation and what you say about these people than in whether what they've eaten or put into their bodies or not put into their bodies has done to them. We have to tame our tongues. And James lays it on thick. In James chapter 3, he says, The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it sets itself on fire by hell. James isn't pulling any punches here. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This should not be. In this moment of, of heightened emotion and debate over what is, compared to the truths of the gospel, secondary issues, we ought to watch, watch our tongues, and we ought to watch our Facebook pages and our social media. We ought to guard ourselves, because when we curse a thing that God has made, we defile ourselves. Listen, what, what, what Jesus said, like, look at the list of things uh, in Matthew uh, 14. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, false witness, and slander. False witness and slander 
are in the same list as murder, sexual immorality, adultery, and theft. Our words are significant. And so we want to navigate these days uh, and to become a body of healing and a body of peace, of, of peace. It's incredibly important to us to be a people of tamed tongues and cautious words and a thoughtfulness about how we speak. We must be wise with our tongues. We have to guard them. And then just to remember this thought, your tongue is made for praise. Your tongue is made for something better. Your tongue is made for something greater. Your tongue is made for something more significant. Your tongue is made for something more important. Would we be people of worship? Would we be people of praise? Would we be people who are focused on giving glory to God more than we are on the behaviors of others? Would we be people of worship? We're made to give him glory. We're made to delight in him. Don't let your tongue be used for cursing. Let it be used for praising. We're going to jump to Romans uh, chapter 14. We're just going to keep plowing through uh, some of these texts and just uh, wrestling them down and and just trying to take some wisdom from them, just soaking in the wisdom of Paul. I want to read Romans chapter 14, 1 to 3 uh, for us now. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And I just want to take a couple of things to start out of Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Just let me read this verse again. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So first, Paul is kind of saying, hey, here's a little boundary we need to uh, be aware of. Uh, We need to be aware of the fact that there are uh, people in our body, and we want our body to be diverse. We want there to be uh, people who don't have a mature faith among us. We want them to be with us. But from a church discipline perspective, Paul is saying, We want people to be among us, but we're not going to create space for them to be quarrelsome. We're not going to create space for a quarrelsome spirit in the body of Christ. And we can assume that Paul, uh, through his letters, we see example after example of it, Paul disciplining that in the body. And we've sort of tried to even say that as a church when we've said, hey, guess what? When we come into the house of God, we're going to follow the uh, ancient uh, principle uh, in some of the ancient cathedrals. And that when somebody comes into the house of God, there may be a warlord from that tribe here and a warlord from that tribe here. You can come into the house of God, but everyone leaves their sword at the door. We're not going to bring our weapons into the house of God. I think we say the same thing about our community, about our body. For the most part, as much as possible, we're going to try to be disciplined about how we have uh, difficult and challenging discussions um, uh, to not quarrel. And I'll talk about that definition of quarrel uh, in just a moment. Um, But what I want to take from this verse, uh, as one whose faith is weak, welcome him, but not to quarrel. I want us to just notice something that um, what Paul's sort of implying here is that someone whose faith is strong doesn't quarrel. 
Someone who, whose faith is strong isn't quarrelsome. If your faith is centered and anchored on the truths of who God is, if you have taken on board uh, the incredible uh, realities uh, that we are confident in the sovereignty of God, uh, that we've gone through uh, repentance and we're continually going through repentance and entering into baptism, that we understand the cross, that we understand the lordship of Jesus. See, I'm just echoing our seven ones. Um, that we have hope in the resurrection, that we're confident in the person of the Holy Spirit, that that person of the Holy Spirit is joining us together and uniting us and listening in on our conversations and a part of everything we do. Uh, and that uh, we have um, a, a confidence that we're all part of one body. If we have those things down, if our faith is strong in those areas, we're actually able to endure controversies and difficult times and different moments because our faith is strong in those things. Those smaller things don't freak us out. Those, those smaller things don't destabilize our emotions. Those smaller things don't uh, cause us to uh, be distracted. Those smaller things don't cause us to run off the rails. They don't cause us to uh, be shipwreck our faith in chasing after things that aren't at the center. Your faith, if it's strong, doesn't lead to quarrels. So discipleship really matters. Discipleship really matters. Learning really matters. Building strong spiritual foundations really matters. If you, as a Christian, uh, maybe have been wrestling, you've been torn by one issue or another issue, uh, you're polarized, you're wrestling, you're confused, you're frustrated, there's possibly a discipleship issue there. There's a need for you to come to the center and anchor yourself in the truths of the gospel in a new and a fresh way. So you can navigate these difficult moments while standing on a firm foundation. You need to invest as a church in discipleship. And I think that's one of the challenges that we saw through the pandemic is, is the pandemic showed us that our discipleship was weak. It showed us that our discipleship was incomplete. It showed us that we were unsteady and unstable, that we hadn't anchored a lot of people in the truths of the gospel. And so we come back and say, hey, strong foundations and discipleship matters. Uh, the other thing that I think is really interesting about this text, and we can look at the next slide, um, the, the, the phrase, we do not want to quarrel over opinions, and this is the, um, the ESV, maybe the next slide if we could, um, maybe the ESV um, sort of uses that phrase opinions, we hear theologians sometimes use the phrase disputable matters. Uh, but what Paul has in, his, uh, Greek, in the Greek language here is actually kind of a, an interesting, a cool play on words. Uh, he, he says, do not quarrel over opinions. Don't diachris over dialogismos. So he's, he's doing a little play on words with that word dia. That word dia sort of means dialogue. It means discussion. It means two together. Um, but what the crisis part means is it's actually the same word that Paul uses when he's teaching about the spiritual gift of discernment. It means to discern. It means to go through a process of deciding what something is and dividing it from what it's not. There's a spiritual gift of discernment that is given to the body, and some people walk in that spiritual gift. But in this case, he's saying don't discern 
over dialogus moss. Don't discern over an area that actually needs discussion. That logos moss is thought, personal thought. Don't discern over personal thought. Don't force discernment. Don't force decision over an area that needs discussion. And the, the, the simplest way that I can sort of render it to English and keep some kind of a play on words there is don't make a diatribe out of a dialogue. Don't make a diatribe out of a dialogue. Don't, there, there are issues in Christianity that it's okay for there to be some confusion. It's okay for there to be some doubt. It's okay for there to be some diversity. Uh, within faith, assuming we've got our foundation strong, and again, Paul is really clear, you know, if, an, if even an angel comes to you and preaches a doctrine other than that which I preach to you, um, uh, you know, sort of away with them. Um, there's lots and lots in the scriptures about how important it is for elders to guard sound doctrine, but there are things outside that realm of sound doctrine in which it's okay for there to be uncertainty. You don't have to discern that thing. What he seems to be saying here is you you can turn your discernment off a little bit in the sense that you don't have to actually categorize and say, yes, that is what I believe about that thing. It is absolutely right. We do that about major doctrinal issues, but about other issues, about secondary issues, it's okay to wrestle with them for a long, long time. It's okay to not know, and it's okay to wrestle with them in community. Don't take something that is meant to be a dialogue and write for yourself a diatribe. It's okay for there to be uh, diversity here. Mature faith leaves space for questions. Mature faith leaves space uh, to wrestle some of these things down. The other thing that uh, we want to see, I'm jumping ahead now to verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment. Again, this is the word discern. uh, On the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment or make a clear discernment, excuse me, on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Uh, there's uh, those words uh, despise and pass judgment or discern are, are, are kind of significant for us, I think. Uh, despising uh, speaks to how we hold another person's value in our heart. To what degree do we value that person? And Paul would say, don't devalue that person. Don't take that person who maybe eats, who maybe uh, does a thing. In our context, again, I'm speaking to both sides. Don't devalue the person who has put something in their body. Don't devalue the person who has not put something in their body. Don't devalue them. Don't despise them. Don't somehow allow there to be a changing of the way that they're ranked in your heart and in your mind. 
We hold the people of God as being treasured and loved and delighted in and valued by him. He died for them. And don't uh, pass judgment or discern. And I think what, what maybe Paul's sort of getting at there is don't create a demarcation about that person. Don't create a new label for them. Don't create a new identity for them. And that's something that we've heard a lot of in the pandemic is we've heard people labeled a lot, haven't we? We've heard people labeled regarding their stance on a given issue or not a a given issue. We demark them. We say that person is in a new category now. And in fact, we've seen something like that happen uh, church-wide. And I think as a pastor, this grieves me more than almost anything that I've seen over the course of the pandemic. We have churches that ought to be united by 2,000 years, two millennia of foundations, of of solid Christian theology, now reorganizing themselves along the lines of a medical issue that happened in 2020 through 2022. 2,000 years of alignment over significant issues, and now we're seeing a reorganization in the church around a two-year medical issue. And we get there, there are more significant things happening than that. But that, that should actually really frighten us. There's a new demarcation, a new naming, a new identity, and people are aligning themselves in different bodies according to these new identities. And these identities, according to what Paul is saying here, this is not something we were supposed to do to one another. Not something we're supposed to have done to us. Let the one who abstains, uh, let let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. And of course, the great principle here is, for God has welcomed them both. God has welcomed them. Who are we to reject the ones that God receives? Who am I to reject one that God receives? How could we do that? To reject beloved children of God that are our brothers and sisters. How could we do that? Paul's seen it happen all the time, and we're seeing it happen in our day. And we can't let that happen. We can't be that. We can't live like that. And very often, you know, it's not the church that is, is rejecting people. Like, like we, we haven't done that. But there are people who have just felt like, I don't fit in the body. I don't, I don't belong. I'm rejecting myself. I've demarked myself. Or you've been marked by someone outside the body and gone to identify to another place over there. But we can't let those devaluings and demarcations happen. We have to fight for the value of God's children and see them as equal to ourselves. We're going to jump to Romans 14, 5 to 6, and we'll finish with this one. And I think we'll, uh, we'll probably continue next week. Romans 14, 5 to 6. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. 
Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. This one who eats in honor of the Lord, sorry, this one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. Paul's talking here about uh, the issue of, of eating meat. And what was happening in the church in Rome um, is that there were many, many temples around, many, many pagan temples, and Christians were trying to live and figure out what their place was in this, in this pagan uh, context. And there were, there were people who, uh, sort of Paul was saying to Gentiles, who were used to eating meat from the markets. Um, now, now, just a caveat, uh, further on in Romans 14, he says, absolutely do not go into the temple and partake in the meat as an act of worship. Absolutely do not do that. Do not participate with idols. Do not participate with demons. So Paul puts a clear demarcation around pagan uh, ritual activity. He says that's not Christian. That doesn't fit within the bounds of, of orthodoxy. But when you go to a market, there may be meat there that was just brought in from the fields and slaughtered and cut up. And you could go there and buy it and it had nothing to do with the temple. Or the meat that was in the market might have been meat that was surplus meat. Uh, from, from the temples, and they would sell them out of the temples and into the markets, and people would eat them. And so believers, trying to make sure that they were pure, were deciding for themselves, okay, I, you know, I'm just going to avoid all meat in the market, and I'm not going to eat it. And some people were saying, no, it's okay, because I, I don't know why it's there, or, or what's behind it, or what's going on with it. Um, I think it's okay. I can trust God. He's big enough. It, it, it's all right. I can go ahead and eat it. And this create, created tremendous division in the church. Some would eat meat and some wouldn't eat meat and the believers were, were fighting about that. And Paul takes that and he says uh, something really interesting. He says, the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains is abstaining in, the, in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Uh, and the issue that we face in our day I've spoken to Christians on sort of both sides of, of the issue that, that we've been talking about for the last couple of, well, since vaccines were on the market. And there are some who would say, no, I, I, I don't want to take that. I can't take that. I don't feel right about taking that. Genuine, God-loving, beautiful Christians who believe they're doing that to the glory of God. And Christians who uh, have taken uh, vaccines, taken the meat from the marketplace and said, you know what, it's okay for me to take that on board. It's okay for me to, to eat that. I, I feel okay about that. And in fact, I feel like I'm protecting people by doing it. And I feel like I'm honoring the Lord in that. And I'm so thankful to the Lord for this vaccine. And they've been doing it to the honor and to the glory of God. There are people on both sides of this issue who are doing it and coming to completely different conclusions, but both to the honor and the glory of God. And so what the Lord is saying is that we look to the intention and we look to the heart of another person. And we say, um, it's possible that person is, is loving Jesus in this way. And I'm supposed to love those who love Jesus and love those who honor Jesus. And then he just offers this little caveat. Uh, it's so interesting, just the, the grammar, the structure. If we look at the last slide, uh, maybe slip past uh, the next slide and go to the, uh, 
the next one. Paul adds this phrase, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And the way the Greek is structured there, it's not really clear uh, what you're supposed to be convinced in your own mind about. But what, what Paul is making clear is that you are supposed to be convinced in your own mind that you're doing it to the honor and glory of God. And so then it becomes on us as individuals, as I said at the very beginning of the sermon, uh, the worship team can come forward just for the sake of time as we close. Um, it becomes very important for us as individuals um, to, to live a life of examine, to live a life of seeking, to live a life of asking God, uh, to live a life of saying, hey, this decision that I'm making, this may be causing division in the body of Christ, or this may be making it hard for me to see this other person well, this may be making it hard to, to, to love this other person, that's making me feel separate, that's making me feel anxious. I had better evaluate very carefully within my own self and be convinced in my own mind that I am making this decision for the glory of God. Because you and I know that our hearts have the potential to be desperately corrupt. And that we can operate on, on both sides of any argument out of fear. We can, we can, we can operate out of uh, wickedness. We can operate out of pride. We can operate out of all kinds of different things. So we're all called constantly as Christians about every issue that we face and every issue that we struggle with to come before the Lord praying from the Psalms, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any bent way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. We're all called to purity. We're all called to seek. We're all called to wrestle. We see this language back and forth in this text. Uh, the one who knows is often compared to the weaker brother, right? We, we saw that earlier in the text. Every time we run into an issue of disagreement, it's really important for us to do a thought experiment that says, okay, let's assume I'm in the know, and the people I'm, I seem to be struggling with are the weaker brothers. Let's play that out in our minds and pray about that. Is that really true? And then flip it. Now let's do a thought experiment. Maybe I'm the weaker brother and they're the ones in the know. Let's play this out our minds and pray about it and see what's true. A really healthy exam and a really healthy self-doubt is going to be absolutely critical uh, to us coming together so we can all be able to say that whatever decisions we've made about various things over these past several years have been made to the honor and the glory of God. Because that's where we find our center. We find our center as worshipers. We find our center as glory givers. We find our center as tellers of truths of the gospel. And we come together in humility, as Ephesians 4 says. In humility, bearing with one another, eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace. Unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. And so we're going to end uh, with worship. We're going to end uh, joining our hearts we're going to end worshiping Jesus. We're going to sing Make Us One Again uh, with all of this in our minds and look for the Lord to heal us and to bring us together and to unite our body to be one family. God bless you.
Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca.